Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Last week, our very first Together Again service, our 10 a.m. service, everybody's in the same place And it just so happened that the word of God landed on us talking about something that some of you felt when you tried to find your normal seat, conflict. (laughs) Some of you were wise last week and you got here early, but what you didn't know is that person was wiser this week and got there earlier than you (laughs) so that they can, yep, that's how it works, church people. I know how y'all are. But we talked about the topic of conflict, and I hope you learned a lot, and I hope you actually put into practice this past week some of the things that we talked about, how to navigate conflict, how to deal with conflict. Because the Bible, the thing I love about the Bible is it's not, the Bible doesn't fluff. The Bible tells you exactly how it is. The Bible is brutally honest. It doesn't take people and keep them in a favorable light when they've done something dumb. It, it will tell you God loved, God loved this person. They were a person after God's own heart and here's everything they did wrong. The Bible is honest, why? So that we can learn from it. We can learn from the stories of these people's lives. And so we're gonna continuing that this week because the chapter that we, we're in right now is all about conflict. And last week we talked about the beginning part of this conflict where you have Paul and Barnabas who were apostles traveling around preaching the gospel to Gentiles. And remember, a Gentile was anyone who is not a Jewish person. And so you were either a Jew or you were a Gentile, right? And so Paul and Barnabas are traveling around and they're preaching to the Gentiles and these Gentiles are becoming Christians. They're being born again. They're being saved. And they finish their mission and they come back to their home church in Antioch to rest, to recoup, only to find conflict in their own home church. And they get in their own home church and it's conflict because there were some Jewish Christians who were coming to, who'd come to Antioch from Jerusalem and they were telling these Gentiles that if you're going to be saved, then you have to be circumcised. And they were, telling them because, they were telling them this because they as Jewish people were circumcised and that was a part of the covenant that they made with God through Abraham. And so they were requiring this of these Gentiles, but here's the problem, God was not requiring that of these Gentiles. And so Paul and Barnabas stood their ground and entered into major conflict with these religious leaders so that they could bring about peace. They could bring about God's plan. And we talked about how they went to Jerusalem and and the leaders in Jerusalem, the leaders of the church, the apostles, Peter and James, and all of those people, they said, you know what, Paul and Barnabas, you're right. You're right. We're not gonna require that these Gentile Christians be circumcised. And we never sent those people to begin with. And so from that conflict came peace. Everybody say peace. peace. Now, we talked about two different types of people last week. There are people who are peacekeepers and there are people who are peacemakers. Peacekeepers will do anything that they can to avoid conflict. 
They don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. They don't want anybody's feathers, excuse me, to be ruffled. They want, they want their version of peace at all times. But the problem is that's not real peace. Real peace comes from entering into conflict and there being a resolve. Those types of people who are willing to go there are called peacemakers. Peacemakers. So we talked about that last week. I want to pick back up in our story because we're going to continue to learn from this. But I do want to give you a bit of a side note. My wife and I were talking about this after the message. There's a way that you can enter into conflict and do it in a Christian way. Some of you, I hope you didn't take the message last week and went, that's right, I'm going to go tell them. <laughs> How'd that work out? <laughs> this is just a side note of wisdom, okay? You can say anything with the right timing and the right tone. You can say anything. For some of you, you need the courage to say it. For others, you need to hear that lesson. You need to hear that wisdom very much. That needs to get ingrained in your heart. You can say anything with the right timing and the right tone. Sometimes we get into relational conflict and challenge, not because we're wrong, but because we said it the wrong way. Sometimes we get into conflict because we said it at the wrong time. Husbands, let me help you. When your wife has been at home dealing with the kids all day and they're driving her insane, that is not the timing to come up to her and say, hey, calm down. <laughs> Ladies, am I right? Okay. That was free. <laughs> Ladies, can I give you a little wisdom? Now, when your husband is having a tough time at his job and he's being criticized by everybody in the world, he doesn't need you to add to it. You need to save some of those. Well, I noticed how the clapping went way down on that one. First one was like, yeah, woo! Second one was a golf clap. very practical, but you can say anything with the right timing and the right tone. There will be moments where you need to sit him down and go, listen, baby, you need to change this. But when the world is against him, that's not the time to do that. That's when he needs your support. Let's keep going. Let's pick up our story. There's, there's two, I want you to see the Bible. When the Bible is giving us stories, there are two different distinctions that can be made. There are times when the Bible is giving us something that is prescriptive, meaning it is prescribing this for your life. When you go to the doctor, they write you what? A prescription. And they are prescribing, this is what you need to take. This is what you need to do. Most of the time, the Bible is giving you something that is prescriptive. But there are other times when the Bible is simply giving you something that is descriptive. What do I mean by that? Prescriptive is this is what you need to do. This is what you need to add to your life. This is what you need to stop doing. Descriptive is simply describing what happened. It's simply telling you this is what happened. And there's things you can grow from it, things you can take from it. But what it's not saying is do what they did. 
right? And so it, when I, as I enter into this story today, I want you to, to be aware of this. I'm talking about something that is descriptive that we can learn something from. It doesn't mean we're supposed to do exactly what they did. If everything that the Bible said was, was prescriptive, then you, you would play Bible roulette and just roll it up and just, this is what God wants me to hear today. That's dangerous. What happens when you do that? Judas hung himself. Okay, wait a minute. Descriptive and prescriptive. As we dive into this, I want you to understand it. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. This is what it says. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Now, this is after the challenge with the, the leaders in Jerusalem. This is after they've already gotten the letter from them to show, to prove this is what the Gentiles need to do. If you missed last week's message, you can go back, you can download it online. We have, a QR, we have QR cards out in the, in the foyer area that you can grab and simply take a picture of it or open it up with your phone and it'll take you directly to those messages. But this is after that. Paul starts to, to feel this burden to go back and check on the churches. Now, the reason why he wants to do that is because I'm sure he knows that if he's having this challenge in Antioch with these Jewish Christians, he's positive that they've already gone around to some of the other churches that he's planted and started spreading these lies. So he says to Barnabas, let's go back and check on our churches because if it happened here, I guarantee these troublemakers are troubling our other churches. Verse 27, Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Everybody say, uh-oh. <laughs> About a month ago, before we started the Legacy Series, I left a little bit of a cliffhanger and I told you that we were going to come back and talk about a moment in the Bible that would forever change Paul's ministry. Paul had done ministry a certain way up until this point, but once something had happened in Perga that changed everything for Paul's ministry. Well, this is that moment because Perga is the capital city of Pamphylia. So when the Bible's talking about Pamphylia, it's talking what happened happened in Perga. What happened in Perga? It was in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, that John Mark who had been following Paul and following Barnabas, abandoned them. They're traveling and they're preaching and here's this young protege that's with them. He just decides, I'm gonna leave. And the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why he left, but the Bible makes it very clear. Paul was very angry and was very disappointed in John Mark leaving to the point that he did not, when it was time to go back and visit those churches, that Paul wanted nothing to do with John Mark. Now, we don't know exactly why Barnabas left, but there's some people who have speculated why John Mark left. For one reason, possible reason, the Bible tells us later on that John Mark was Barnabas's cousin. They were related. And when they started this mission, Paul was, Barnabas was essentially the leader. At least that's the way it seemed. He was the lead guy that was sent from Jerusalem. And now Paul is really starting to shine and take the lead role. And maybe John Mark said, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with this because you're my cousin and I came here for you. I didn't come here for this Paul guy. That's one possible reason. 
Another possible reason is that he saw what, what, or maybe had the danger that they were in and he got afraid, he got homesick, he wanted to go home, he wanted to leave. He didn't want to do this anymore, this wasn't fun anymore, this was scary. Sometimes preaching the gospel is scary. Sometimes opening up and sharing your faith with people will not always be met with, you know what, thank you, you're right. Sometimes it will be met with, get out of my face. You're one of those Jesus freaks. I don't want to hear anything about that. So maybe that's why he left. Third reason, possible reason that he left is that Paul and Barnabas had not yet gotten the letter from the Jerusalem church saying that preaching to the Gentiles like they were doing was okay. And maybe just maybe John Mark left because it was right about the time they were doing so and said, I don't agree with what y'all are doing, so I'm going back to Jerusalem and I'm going to rat you out. Those are all possible reasons why John Mark left. We don't know exactly why. All we know is that Paul took that abandonment very, very seriously. And it says here that the the Bible says that Paul, not only did he disagree, he disagreed strongly. In other words, he was mad. And they had a fight. The Bible says that this was no small disagreement. How many of you know what those no small disagreements actually mean. It was a full-on fight. They were angry. It was the type of fights when you start talking about each other's moms, start bringing up stuff from junior high, like this is all out there, right? This was a full-on fight. And it was a battle, this is important for you to know, this was a battle between peers. This was a battle between friends. These men who had been so committed to one another for so long found themselves at odds with one another. Now, this is important for you to know. They were peers. Don't misconstrue what I'm saying. The apostle Paul was arguing with the apostle Barnabas. I'm not telling you this so that you can go home and be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna if you're a teenager, I'm gonna tell my mom what to do. That's not how that works. Right, you honor your parents. You know, I'm not telling you guys this so you can go tell your boss, I've been waiting to tell you something. Pastor Gabe told me it was okay to do it. You will get fired. <laughs> Don't do that. The apostle Paul and the apostle Barnabas had this conflict. They were peers. And let me just say this too, when it, comes to, when it comes to relationships with people like that, because what I'm not saying is that you won't have times when your teacher or your parent or your boss is wrong. But there's something that's important for you to know. Submission begins where agreement ends. Let me say that again. Submission begins where agreement ends. You submit to something when you realize, okay, I, I disagree, but because of the placement God's put you in in my life, I'll submit to that. As long as it's not disregarding the word of God, as long as it's not wrong. Now, if they start asking you to do something that's wrong or is against the, the will of God, then you, you obey God rather than man. Are y'all with me? Submission begins where agreement ends. This was a major clash, but it was a major clash of values. This was not one person, I think I'm right, I think I'm right, I think you're wrong, I think you're wrong. This was a clash of values. This is something that was deeply embedded in these men. Now these are Christian men. These are Christian leaders. These are apostles. 
And they still had these major conflicts. What makes us think that as Christians, we won't have them? We will have them. If they did, then we certainly will. And I'm trying to get you to see that it's okay. It's okay to have conflict as long as we do it God's way. As long as we do it the way that Jesus wants us to. So what were the values? Why were they clashing? Well, Barnabas's value, remember Barnabas is warning John Mark to come with them. Paul does not. Barnabas, his value in this, in this, this story is he loved people. He deeply loved people. He deeply cared about people's redemption. He was a man of mercy. He was a man of compassion. And if you remember, he is the man who stood in front of the, the, the leaders in Jerusalem, the church, the leaders of the church, and said, give this guy, Paul, a chance. He's the one who stood in the gap for Saul or Paul. So this was deeply embedded in him. It was a value to him to give John Mark another chance. What about Paul? Paul's value was the mission. We can't depend on this man. He's undependable. And if we bring him with us, he is going to hurt the mission that God has given us. They both had a strong commitment to their value that caused them to butt heads. A pastor once told me this, don't fight for yourself, but fight for others. And I believe these men, neither one of them were fighting for themselves. They weren't even fighting for their preference. They were fighting for others. See, Barnabas is fighting for John Mark's well-being. He's fighting for the one. This person, we can't forget about him, Paul. Paul, don't you remember when I fought for you? Don't you remember when I stood up for you when everybody was against you? Let's make the same commitment to John Mark, even though he's made a mistake. And Barnabas, excuse me, Paul is fighting for those Gentile churches that he's out there that need to hear the gospel. He's saying, I'm going to go fight for them and I'm not going to bring somebody with me who's, gonna be un, who's not going to be dependable that we can't trust that will help us do what God's called us to do. I'm not going to do it. They're too valuable. So we see this clash. Both of these men fighting for others. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a deep disagreement with someone, even a believer, and it's a matter of principle and value? If you're being honest, I believe you have been. I think we've all been there. And there are moments to overlook an offense, and there are moments to engage in a battle. Pastor, how do I know when I need to do what? How do I know when, is, when I don't need to overlook an offense? when you can't overlook the offense. That's when you have to engage it. When it's something that you can overlook, because listen, there's something to be said for making room for other people's faults and failures. Nobody's perfect. And the last thing you wanna do is to become the correction police. You said this, you did this, you did that, blah, 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 blah. You don't wanna do that. But when you cannot overlook an offense, you need to engage the offense. Does that make sense? You can't, I'll just tell you this. There are certain people who are just so, they're so touchy. They're so incredibly touchy. 
And it, any little thing can push their buttons. If that's you, repent. Please hear me, repent. There is something, and I'm not saying this to criticize you, what I'm saying is there's probably an area of your soul and deep-seated offense in your heart that you need to bring to the Lord and let him heal so that you're not as touchy about every single thing. I know this is tough, but it's right. It's time to grow up for some of us. It's time to grow past those things. Look at it this way. How do I know when I need to engage? Can I engage everything? No. Suppose you're driving down the road and somebody gives you sign language. (laughs) They've offended you. Are you going to drive to their house and say, hey, I need to make this right with you? No, you're going to overlook the offense and move on. But then there are other times when you can't. See, sometimes conflict brings clarity. Sometimes it brings clarity. Other times it ends like we're getting ready to see. Acts chapter 15, verse 39 says this, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. Well, pastor, who was right and who was wrong? If I'm being honest with you, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think that both of their values were so right, their commitments to other people was good. So I don't know. But I'll tell you the two things that I do know. Number one, I know this. Sometimes it's not about who's right, it's about what's right. Sometimes you need to fight for a relationship, not because you are right, but because that relationship is right. And you have to be willing to say, you know what? I'm going to own what I can own for the sake of this relationship, for the sake of making this relationship right. Again, sometimes relationships need conflict to bring clarity. But there's also those moments that you just forgive one another and you make allotment for their faults and failures. Sometimes it's about what's right above who's right. What I am glad about with these men is this. They were honest with one another, though. They didn't harbor this bitterness. They didn't hold on to this bitterness and let it linger in them to the point where later on in their journey, they could have been on the mission field in prison. And all of a sudden, Barnabas lashed out, you didn't let me bring John Mark. I'll tell you what your problem is. No, no, no. They had the conflict and they dealt with it. They dealt with it. See, in relationships, one of the most dangerous things that you can do, hear me, church, is hide bitterness. One of the most dangerous things you can do in a relationship is hide your bitterness because believe it or not, it will eventually come out. Bitterness is like, how many of you have ever been on the beach and had a beach ball out on the water and we try to hold it down underneath the water? We push it down like we can actually control it, but by its nature, it's gonna pop up. That's what bitterness does in our lives. When we hold on to it and we keep stuffing it and we keep stuffing it, it will eventually pop up. That's why it's better to pop the balloon as soon as you see the issue. It's best to deal with it. 
The second thing I know about this relationship is this. Even in this, even in them parting ways and them having this conflict, believe it or not, even in this, God is still sovereign. Meaning, meaning God knows all things. God controls all things. He's in all things. God was sovereign even in this. How can you say that, Pastor? Because as bad as this looks, and I'm going to unpack this a little bit more in a moment, as bad as this looks from the outside, now God didn't only have one team of apostles going to the Gentiles. He had two teams of apostles going to the Gentiles. And the work of the ministry was spreading. It was more effective and more efficient because this happened. So even in our conflicts, even in our problems, God is sovereign and he can work all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we trust God even in that, even in these tough moments, even in these tough circumstances. And remember this, as you're dealing with people, interacting with, interacting with people, especially in Thanksgiving season, can we just be honest? Some of you are very much looking forward to going home. Some of you are like, my uncle's going to be there. My cousin's going to be there. Every time I got that one sister who she's in charge everywhere she goes. We have to learn how and know how to deal with conflict God's way. But remember this, and this story is so amazing because these are two incredibly godly men. But remember this, the best of men are men at best. The best of men are men at best. None of us are perfect. And the same grace that you expect people to give to you, sometimes you've got to give that same grace to other people. Hold on, Pastor Gay, you were talking to me, okay. Now also let me clarify this before we move on. I'm not talking about marriage. I'm not talking about marriage when I'm talking about these people parting ways. Biblically speaking, there is one reason to break apart a covenant marriage that you've made before God, infidelity. When someone cheats on you, that is the biblical reason for splitting up a marriage and walking away from a marriage. You don't walk away from a covenant relationship because they made you angry. You don't walk away from a covenant relationship because you're not happy. Because if you stay and you fight for it, eventually you can both be happy. Okay? So, Pastor, what happened in this story? Acts 15, verse 40. Paul chose Silas, who was a prophet. And as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he, then he traveled throughout Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches there. So, Paul and Barnabas split up. Paul takes Silas. Barnabas takes John Mark. And what looks like it, a, a bad ending I don't believe was a bad ending. I don't believe this was a horrible ending. I'll tell you what I believe about what this text says. I believe that these were two godly men who agreed to disagree. They agreed and respected each other's viewpoint enough to say, you know what, but I, I'm not budging, I'm not budging. Let's agree to love one another and continue our mission for God. I believe that's what happened. And sometimes men and women, that's what happens. 
So the best thing for them to do was to not try to force this to happen, but, to re- but what is to realize, hey, God has called me to do this. This is my value. God's called me to do this. This is my value. And so we're gonna part ways. I, I'll tell you this, I've seen this happen in my own life. I remember working for my very best friend in the world. This guy was my friend for 20 year, over 20 years now. Some of you have met him, Pastor Jeremy Ushery. He just planted a church in Atlanta. I'm so proud of him, cheering him on. But I remember we went from working on a staff together, planting a church together, living in a broken down little area of Gulfport, Mississippi together, trying to build the kingdom of God. So one day he became the pastor of the church and I worked for him. We stood in each other's weddings. I was his best man, he was my best man. He had cancer two times. I remember his wife calling me one night after a chemo treatment and me literally going there picking him up off the floor. That was the level of love that we have for one another. He is that person and we all need that person in our lives who is willing to tell us when we're being stupid. He has saved me from so many stupid decisions in my life. But when I worked for him, I realized I can't work for him. And that was a tough moment for me. That was a tough moment for him. And we went our own separate ways. To this day, that relationship is still intact and he's my very best friend in the world to this day. Sometimes, what am I saying? Sometimes you have to realize this relationship won't work the way that it's working so I have to draw some boundaries. Doesn't mean you end the relationship. I have to end, I have to end put in some boundaries in order for this relationship to continue to work. I believe that's what Paul and Barnabas did. They parted ways. Didn't mean the relationship was over. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, don't go there, but you can write it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5 and 6, Paul speaks favorably about Barnabas. He speaks favorably about him later on. In our lives, we have to set some boundaries. Now, let me just say this as well. And I know I'm giving, I'm, this is, I'm hoping you guys are taking the word of God and, and thinking through relationships in your life that you can add these things to because relationships are a major part of being a Christian. Church is not a spectator sport. Church is not, I come in, I hear something and I leave and that makes me a Christian. No, you are a part of the body of Christ. You're in relationships with one another and relationships can be good and relationships can be tricky. So we've got to know God's way of dealing with them. Boundaries are important. Forgiveness is important. Offering forgiveness to someone when they've hurt you or harmed you That's how you move forward in relationships. I believe Paul and Barnabas forgave one another and moved forward. And I've heard people say this, well, pastor, I can can forgive, but I can't forget. Can I just tell you how dumb a statement that is? (laughs) Unless you get amnesia, of course you're not going to forget. I've heard it for years, I've even said it in the past. That is a dumb statement. You will never forget. But let me tell you what genuine forgiveness is. Forgiveness is canceling the debt that person owes you. 
See, when someone sins against you and they do something to you, they, they, you feel as if they owe you something, whether that's an apology, whether that's, a, whether that's something they stole from you, or whether it's just the pain that they made you, they owe you fixing that pain. When you offer someone forgiveness, what, essentially what you're telling them is, I'm canceling the debt that you owe me. I'm canceling that debt. You don't owe me anything anymore. That is forgiveness. You cancel what they owe you. However, however, that doesn't mean you give them another loan. This is what I mean. Forgiveness heals you. Forgiveness lets them off the hook. But reconciliation comes when you've reconciled the relationship. And so in order for you to reconcile the relationship, sometimes there has to be an amicable, I own this, I own this. Okay, let's heal this now. I'm not advocating you put yourself in a way of people continuing to harm you over and over and over and over again. That's not what I'm talking about. Restoration comes whenever you've reconciled things. There's been ownership, there's been changes made. But you offer forgiveness, why? Because if you don't, it's going to eat you alive. I've heard it said like this, unforgiveness and bitterness is like taking rat poison and expecting the other person to die. It kills you. It kills you. Let's move forward. How does this story end? I want you to see how this portion of the story ends and we're gonna continue, we're gonna keep going. But Paul learned some things I believe Barnabas probably learned some things as well. What did we see happen? It, it would be great if, if the story ended right there, right? And, and, and we've learned some things. But the Bible continues and tells us later on what happened many years after the fact. The first thing that you need to know is this. John Mark is the man who wrote the book of Mark. The gospel of Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark was written by John Mark. Now... Thank God for Barnabas. Thank God that Barnabas was willing to give this man another chance when Paul was unwilling to. Barnabas did. History tells us that John Mark later on kind of became a son in the Lord to Peter. Peter calls him that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. He calls John Mark his son in the Lord. John Mark started following Peter, and he started writing down Peter's sermons, which is what allowed him to write the gospel of Mark. So history tells us, it's important for you to know this, just because people are done with you doesn't mean God is. Just because people have given up on you doesn't mean God has. And for John Mark, there was a story of redemption for him. There can be a story of redemption for you. The second thing is this, even Paul later on saw the the value in John Mark. How do I know that? He says it himself in Colossians chapter four, verse 10. He says this, Articus, who is in prison with me, sending, sends you his greetings, and so does who? Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome when he comes to visit you. Here's Paul writing to the, the, the church in, in Colossa, the book of Colossians. He's saying, hey, receive John Mark. Philemon, 
or Philemon. Chapter 1, verse 23 says this, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So does Mark. Articus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. He refers later on to Mark as what? A co-worker. And then in Paul's last letter that he wrote, before he dies, while he's in prison, he writes this to Timothy. We're going to talk about him in a moment. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, this is what it says. Timothy. Now, let me just, Paul is in prison. His death is imminent, is coming. This is where he says things like, I finished the race. I fought the good fight of faith. He knows he's getting ready to die. And he's writing this letter to his son in the Lord, Timothy. This is what he says. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas, who just remember the, the last scripture I read, he was counting as a brother. Demas has deserted me because he's loved the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. And Titus has gone to, De- I don't even know how to say that. But anyway, verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Even Paul later on saw the value in this man, John Mark. This is a story of redemption. I think there's a few lessons we can learn. We can give people grace There's times when we just need to be honest with one another and agree to disagree. All of these things are wrapped up in this story of John Mark. But God was not finished with John Mark. And if God was not finished with John Mark, maybe you are a John Mark. God is not finished with you. But now Paul and Silas are together and they're leaving and they're, they're going to check on the churches. And I want you to notice something. They're leaving to go check on these churches. And the first time that Paul was sent out, he was chosen by the Holy Spirit. There was prophecies. There were all of these things coming out to say, set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work. And, and there's this deeply super spiritual moment. That's not what happened this time. This time Paul got into a fight. And then realize, I still need to go check on these churches. Why? Because there was a burden inside of him for them. And what's my point in telling you that? I think sometimes we wait to do something for God until there's a super spiritual moment and angels come down and prophets start telling you, you're the anointed one to do this. You, You are called to be the greeter at the front door of our Savior's church. Yea, says the Lord. That's not what happened here. What happened here was Paul simply had a burden. He simply had a burden for the people that God had called him to. Some of us are waiting for miraculous signs and wonders when you just need to follow the burden that God's given you. If you have a burden to help a certain type of person, then help that type of person. If you have a burden to make people feel welcomed in our church, then make people feel welcomed in our If you have a burden to help with kids' ministry, please, Lord, come and serve in our kids' ministry. But if you have a burden for that, help. Stop waiting on the miraculous signs and wonders. Let me keep going. Verse 16, Paul went, I'm not going to be much longer, but I want you to hear these things. Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra. Lystra. This was the same place 
that Paul and Barnabas were preaching when they left Iconium? Remember when everybody thought, you're Zeus, you're Hermes, and they're praising them one minute. And the next minute, they get mad at them and they start throwing bricks at them. And they try to, and they almost stoned Paul to death. Paul goes right back there. I love Paul. Paul's just a man. It's like, y'all tried to kill me. I'm still coming back. You can't stop a man like that. So he goes right back there this time with Silas to strengthen the churches. Now, what's important for you to know is that Derby and Lystra were in the area of Galatia, which is who Paul wrote the book of Galatians to. So the people he's visiting, the people that were troubled by these Jews telling them they had to be circumcised, this, this is why he wrote the book of Galatians. And it was to this group of people. Love it when the Bible just starts to come together. Verse 16, I mean, excuse me, verse 1. Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer. His father was a Greek. Why does the Bible tell us about this? Because this man was an important man, and he ended up becoming a son in the Lord to Paul. Paul refers to him as his son in the Lord in First and Second Timothy. He was his protege. He wrote the book of First and Second Timothy to him directly. Pastors, since that point on, have been learning how to take care of God's people because Paul wrote those books to that man, Timothy. That's how we learn how to pastor people in a way that honors God because of this relationship. Paul understood something that I want our church to make sure that we don't miss, that we understand. It is the role of this generation of Christians to prepare the next generation of Christians. It is our job. It is our role. I've said this before and I want you to hear me. It is not about you. When you show up and somebody's in your seat, I keep picking on that because I know that's what y'all are dealing with. When you show up and someone's in your seat, are you going to be offended that someone would dare sit in your seat? Or are you going to go praise God that that person probably needs to hear from God today? I can go move and sit on the other side. It's not about us. And we have to keep that in the forefront. Paul understood that. Paul knew, I have to leave a legacy. I need a son to leave this ministry too. Paul was not married. He didn't have a physical son. This was his son in the Lord. And he treated him like that. Church, we have to always have the mindset, who's next? Who needs what God has invested in me? You, God may have healed your marriage. Who needs to know about that so that God can heal theirs? God may have freed you from addictions. Who needs to know about that so that they can have hope that they can be free from addictions? Who needs what God has given you? We have to always be thinking, who's next? Now, Timothy did what John Mark did. Not in that he abandoned, but he traveled with Paul and he was basically there serving. He was there to help meet practical needs for Paul. Paul's there preaching. Timothy's going to go get their, their food for the evening. He was there serving Paul and serving Silas. And all the while, he was learning. The whole while, he's watching them do what they do and meeting practical needs. He was learning how to do what God called him to do. Now, 
Who else do we know of that had inexperienced people who came alongside him and served and met practical needs while they were learning how to one day do what he did? Not Mr. Miyagi. (laughs) Jesus. Jesus had his 12 with him traveling and learning what he did because Jesus thought that way as well. Jesus thought, I have to give this to the next generation so that they can give it to the next generation so that they can give it to the next generation. That is the way of the kingdom. And we need those types of relationships. Acts 16, verse 2. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. Verse 3. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey in deference to the Jews of the area. Listen to this, and this is my closing point. He arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left. For everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Wait a minute, Paul, time out. Didn't you just have this whole argument about Gentiles, I mean, not needing to be circumcised in order to be saved? Didn't you just take this long trip to Jerusalem? Didn't you do all of it? You wrote all these books. Why is Timothy being circumcised? Because Timothy was half Jewish and half Gentile. And Paul knew, if I took this young man with me, people would never hear the gospel that are Jews from him because if you are half Greek, half Jew, you're supposed to be circumcised in order to fully become a Jew. And Paul recognized that unless he's circumcised, he's going to be more of a hindrance to the ministry that God's called us to than a help. And some of us need to know that. There's certain things when we're trying to reach people and share the gospel with people that we can do that's just dumb, that block them from actually hearing the message we have. Sometimes you have to remove those things that you know will deal, will affect their conscience so that you can actually get the truth to them. So that's the first part of this. And as I'm ending, I want to end with this. It took a lot for Timothy as well. See, Paul recognized Timothy was saved. Timothy was accepted by God, but in order for Timothy to be accepted by man, Paul had to cut on him. And I think that's for everyone in this room to know. When God gives you a Paul, when God puts a person in your life to help lead you be a better follower of Jesus, they're going to cut on you. And they're going to cut on those areas in your life that are the most sensitive, that you don't want anybody to know about. You don't want anybody. Thank God that God has put them in your life to cut those areas of your flesh away so that you can be who God has called you to be. See, Paul knew Timothy would never be able to do these things unless I cut on that area of his life. For some of you, God has put pause in your life that you've resisted and you've rejected because you didn't like how uncomfortable it felt. Some of you need to turn right back around and embrace those relationships because they are helping you get to the place God wants you to be. They're helping you fulfill the call God has on your life and you won't get there unless you're willing to let them cut on you. For Timothy, that took trust. For Timothy, that took humility. For us and those relationships that God has given us, if we really want to grow, it's going to take trust. 
going to take us being willing to let them hold us accountable to those areas that we said we wanted to grow in. Thank God for the pause in our lives. So as I end, what am I saying? I'm saying relationships are tough. They're complicated. But God is sovereign. Paul and Barnabas dealing with tough moments, Timothy submitting to the process of getting cut, John Mark feeling rejected by Paul and being picked up later on by Peter. Relationships are complicated, but they're worth it. They're worth it. Trust that God is sovereign. Honor people, forgive people, speak truth to people, draw boundaries with people, but in the process, trust God. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for relationships. You use relationships in our lives to cause us to see things in our heart we would have never seen before, to encourage us to be what we've always strived to be. You have a way, God, of taking relationships, even with other Christians. And there's even people in this room, you've been tempted to give up on church because you've been hurt by people in relationships. Maybe, just maybe, that's what God was using to deal with that area in your soul, that you would not have let him deal with any other way. Father, I pray that you help us to embrace all that the body of Christ has to offer us. When it's a tough moment, when it's a challenging moment, when it's an easy moment, when it's our time to offer forgiveness to people, help us remember this. When we feel like no one's willing to forgive us, help us remember this. We love you. I'm grateful, Lord. Thank you for your word and helping us navigate these relationships. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here today, And as I'm talking about these relationships, let me just be very transparent. The most important relationship that leads to these relationships is the one that you have with Jesus. It begins with you being saved. That's why God sent Jesus to die on the cross. Not so you can be a member of a church, so you could be a member of his kingdom. So you can be a member of his body. So you can have a legitimate relationship with God the Father that you could only have by your sins being forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Jesus once told a a religious leader, this goes to show I'm not talking about your church attendance and what denomination you've grown in. None of that matters. Jesus told a religious leader, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven unless you're first born again. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not born again. I'm not right with God. My sin is standing in the way of my relationship with him. And I need to be saved. I want to pray for you. Because his spirit has been drawing you and you know it. And he's been dealing with you and you know it. And it's time for you to say yes and to follow him. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer in a moment. And these words will not save you. Please hear me say that. You can pray this prayer a hundred times and not mean it. But it's the willingness to say, I'm going to follow and make you my Lord. And his grace and his love will meet you right where you're at today. I'm going to walk you through a process that's as easy as ABC. A, you admit. Admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins so you could be forgiven. 
and see, confess that he is now the Lord of your life, that he rose again from the dead on the third day, but that you are bowing your knee to follow him and doing things his way. If you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be born again. I want to be saved today. With no one looking around, I want to acknowledge that as you that's making that decision. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And all of us are going to pray it out loud together. But it's our prayer of surrender. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. You say, Pastor, I want to be born again today. I want to follow Jesus with my life. Don't be ashamed. Lift up your hand and hold it up high. He wasn't ashamed when he died on the cross for you. Thank you. I see your hand back there. Anyone else? Say, this is my moment. I want to be born again today, Pastor. I need Jesus in my life. You can put him down. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together. Say this with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell for me, and you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth and a relationship with the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of my sin and I turn to follow you. And I acknowledge that from this moment on, God, you are my Father. Jesus, you are my Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate that.